Alright everybody, welcome to the August 4th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got JJ and Chris with me here. How are you guys doing? Hello there, doing well. How you doing? I'm doing okay. It's cooler down here, like you guys said it was up there. Uh, there's a bit of activity in Portland today. We'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. Yeah. Our, our monthly slash weekly riot has gone down, although... In this case, it was really the police writing. Uh, that'll be a topic we cover in the local section. What I guess we're going to start with, and really our only big national story here besides some primary results, uh, is the Manafort trial. This has gone through its first week. The judge was noticeably snippy with the, the prosecutors. I, I question what was up with that. Chris, have you been following along with this? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um... He definitely, I mean, he was hostile to the case kind of existentially, even before it started, but, you know, not to the point of throwing it out. I think he basically, I think he maybe has an opinion about the political motivation of the case, but not enough to invalidate the fact that there are clearly actual federal charges and evidence here. Yeah, because, like, there's definitely crimes that have been occurred. Like, plenty of crimes. One of the things he seems most uh, keen on is making... Well, not letting prosecutors make hay over Manafort's wealth. Which is an odd decision in a case that really hinges on showing his living beyond his means and has access to a much larger supply of money than he has told the feds. Yeah, I mean, basically, he allowed them to do several examples of it and then kind of put the kibosh on, said that's enough. Uh, he he is not seemingly so snippy with Manafort's team, although he doesn't seem to be favoring them either. He's not giving them any slack. Correct? Am I reading that right? From what I've seen, yeah. So, uh, Chris, you've been really our point guy in the Russian investigation, so why don't you kind of walk us through what's at stake in this trial, what's being charged, what's being done. Yeah, it's interesting. I've read a lot of um, pieces about how, you know, this is like a must-win for, um, this is a must-win for Mueller and his investigation. I I kind of view it almost as like a can't lose. Uh, (laughs) The, the charges are so clearly evidentiary proven, and even in their opening statements, Manfort's team offered just ludicrous, a ludicrous defense. His defense was literally that Rick Gates tricked him. <laughs> oh, shit. Seriously? That's his defense? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the yeah, best that's, that he's got? That's what they did in their opening statement. In their defense oh, on cross they are has been doomed. Really good. Yeah. Their defense on Cross has been really focused on, like, Gates was the one who gave most of the financial information to his tax accountant. Uh, his tax preparer was on the stand for, like, a full day or a day and a half or something like that. Yeah. He's been kind of the star witness so far. So I I think what, um, I mean, in terms of larger significance, I'm kind of puzzled myself because... Manafort seems so uninterested, right? I mean, this is a train that has been coming very slowly toward him for a very long time. (laughs) And he has done nothing to get out of the way. He's done, like, legal maneuvering to kind of put it off a little. But Yeah, it's the the legal version that Austin Powers has seen with the the steamroller and the henchman. Right. (laughs) I wouldn't think he he could have any rational expectation that he's actually going to beat these charges. So this makes me wonder why, you know, why he hasn't struck the deal that obviously the whole thing has been about putting pressure on him to strike some kind of deal and provide some kind of information. Does he know what the information is? And it's so, so obviously damaging to Trump that he knows Trump is going to pardon him or is he even more worried about maybe things that are worse than Trump in his in his Russian connections and possible organized crime Russian connections? I have an alternate theory on that. 
I think what he has on Trump is is so bad. He thinks he can basically get a deal uh, during his appeals. Hmm. And that way, he's he's basically throwing the dice. Like if they can keep the scam up, he can uh, he can fight these charges. If somehow he beats them, if somehow he gets a pardon or whatnot, moves on, they can keep milking him for money. But he doesn't lose anything by trying. If he really has the goods, he can he can just work with prosecutors after that guilty version comes down. Guilty verdict, excuse me, comes down. Normally, that's not something they do, but it's not unheard of either. It's happened a few times, and Manafort may think he might be one of those guys. Huh. I, I was not aware of that, that that was even a thing that's possible once you get found guilty. Oh, yeah. Uh, they can do all sorts of stuff to drop the case during appeals and whatnot. But it's a whole lot easier if the president is willing to pardon you during the appeals process. Exactly, yeah. So he, he might very well be playing both sides here. He has things that can get him out either way, and let's see which one he goes with. Well, I mean, that does track with him trying to blame everything on Gates. I mean, if that's their defense, then it has nothing to do with Trump at all. It's just, oh, you know, I was caught up in this whole crazy Ukrainian lifestyle of the rich and famous <laughs> and terribly ugly uh, because my lawyer is the devil uh, and I listen to him a lot. Then I guess, you know, then Trump is fine and... I mean, I can't. I mean, yeah. Of course, that defense isn't going to work. But then they don't reveal anything. He, you know, goes down for you know whatever, like probably two hundred years or something like that of his potential three hundred five year prison sentence with Is all that of the eight really counts. Really, what he's uh, he's facing? Yeah, uh, eighteen counts maximum is three oh five. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, especially considering, uh, you know, he's not that young. A 20-year sentence is basically a life sentence for him, and he could easily get a 20-year sentence out of this. Yeah, I, I would say, like, given how sentencing for these things typically works, like, a lot of his charges would just be fines and no time. The bank fraud is what he's probably likely going to do time for. But, you know, like... I mean, tax evasion, like, he'd maybe get a couple of years, but probably not more than, I would say, yeah, like, 2025, like Chris is thinking, yeah. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but he'd probably do time in something like, you know, the Martha Stewart suite. Oh, totally. So even, even jail for him wouldn't be necessarily terrible. But, I mean, he probably won't even do more than six months, in all honesty, if... Whenever he does end up doing time. Oh, yeah. He's not actually going to get 305 years. He didn't sell a dime bag as a 20-year-old in Mississippi. I mean, this is a serious <laughs> crime. Yeah, that's the only way to get 305 real sentenced years in this country. <laughs> sell a dime bag of weed. <laughs> Boom. Uh, have you guys ever heard uh, the, the Decline, a song by NoFX? No. No. It's actually a great song. It's like a 20-minute long just screed of what's wrong with this world. But at one point, he contrasts the drug laws between California and uh, Detroit. And uh, a dime bag in California is a $20 fine. But in Michigan, a guy goes to jail for like 18 years or something. Yes. Just brings that into stark relief. Not to derail us anywhere. Um, the Manafort trial, the judge said he didn't want it to go more than three weeks, but it's looking like it's going to be even shorter than that. Uh, the the yeah. prosecution is basically rested, right? Like, they're holding their their closing statement till after uh, the defense case, but I don't believe they intend to call anything more than Gates. Right, and they were being, trying to be a little shifty about whether or not they would call Gates, which is one of the things that the judge... <laughs> The judge went a little bit beyond what I think he was supposed to there. He told them they wouldn't have a case if they didn't bring Gates out. Isn't that something for the jurors to decide? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I realize there is a, a spot for the judge there. Uh, if the, the prosecution hasn't proved its case to the judge's satisfaction, he can dismiss the charges without even having defense take the stand, basically say there's no way that a rational juror could arrive at a decision of guilt. But usually if that's 
Like anything close to an open question, they let the jurors decide that. That's activist judges for you. Yeah, it wasn't like the prosecution brought out a birthday clown from Pensacola, Florida, who was like, Manafort did it, and then they rested their case. Like, <laughs> there, there, there is an assertion of fact there. That being said, I would like to see that tactic play out. <laughs> I have a hard time believing that would get to trial, but even if it did, that's one of the cases where I'm okay with the judge being like, no, no rational juror could decide that this was a guilty verdict. Um, yeah, so I think um, the other the other wild card, of course, is that if he somehow beat these charges, and if he doesn't beat these charges, either way, he's going to trial again. <laughs> yeah, in about DC, right? Yeah, in less than two months now. So now that's also a little bit interesting here. If he's preparing for two different trials, usually the courts are fairly sensitive on that in terms of like spacing this out so that defendants have appropriate time and. You know, they can't argue that they, they weren't able to mount a serious defense because of the other thing. This does right. seem a, a fairly bang-bang type of thing. Yeah, although this one kept getting delayed, which sort of compacted the schedule on the other end. And that was Manafort's request for delay, so I guess you, you can say he brought that on himself. They could not mount a reasonable defense because their client was, quote, too evil. <laughs> oh, man. Reminds me we never got to see Shaney go on trial for any of that. Yeah, that would have been nice. Prosecutor war crimes. Us? No. Uh, so with the, the Manafort trial kind of wrapping up here, there has been a little bit of, of news, and I, I didn't really put this in the topic rundown, but we'll talk about it. A little bit of fallout from the uh, Maria Butina scandal. The IRS, uh, not the IRS, excuse me, the NRA is suing uh, New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo and uh, various regulators in that state. And one of their court filings have alleged that they're about to go out of business, or at the very least have to close down their, uh, their lobbying efforts and their NRA TV video streaming service, which, you know, could have happened to a nicer company. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if they can't make those those TV spots where they literally threaten to kill liberals, I I don't know what will become of them. Dana Loach is just such an even-tempered, absolutely reasonable human being that I'm sure <laughs> there'll be some other outfit for her. Um, the, the NRA's alleging in this uh, that Governor Cuomo has basically sicked his dogs on them. He's arguing that the state investigation of them is an attempt to silence them. I don't think they have a chance in hell on that. Um, the other aspect is that Governor Cuomo has written letters both to the NRA and, well, to some of his regulators, uh, basically outlining that the NRA is a fairly evil organization. Uh, the NRA is taking this to mean that he's, he's out to get them and he's, he's cutting off banking services for them. We had a discussion of this in our Facebook group. If anybody wants to go check it out. And while our resident legal expert, which is the only one of us actually qualified to practice law, uh, <laughs> decided that New York is most likely safe. They seem pretty fine there. Yeah, it would set a really dangerous precedent. I mean, you know, the NRA may be the, the really big conservative one, but imagine all of the civil rights organizations that have probably been driven to bankruptcy over the decades that could sue if precedent established that they were able to right because of indirect governmental pressure yeah you th that's actually a really good point like uh, imagine what kind of a case greenpeace could make or PETA. i mean but god greenpeace over like 40 50 years Seriously, didn't the French, like, sink one of their ships? Oh, yes. fuck yeah. Yeah, it took it down to, like, a New Zealand harbor or something with, like, trained divers. Yeah, they and they typically have not had, I don't think, any redress from governments. So, I mean, yeah, this 
this would set a real, real dangerous precedent that the government definitely doesn't want to invite. <clears throat> and another thing that I don't think uh, gets brought up here is that the, the government, as long as you're not, like, trampling on human rights, is entirely able to make statements of morality. We don't consider that unconstitutional. Our, our tax code incentivizes marriage and children and things like that because we think that those are are helpful for the uh, the country as a whole. And even other organizations like learn from that. The, the acceptance of the LGBT community started basically skyrocketing with the, the issue of marriage equality. When you paint that as somebody really just wants to settle down to a spouse and a white pick, a picket fence and all that, you see huge amounts of middle America be like, yeah, okay, we're okay with that. So the, the fact that a government has a moral position on this, I think, is something they're making a lot of hay about, but not really anything that's consequential. Uh, consequential excuse me. Yeah, and I wonder what, um, you know, JJ brought up civil rights organizations, which is kind of where my mind went first, too. And I was thinking of things like ACORN although that was the action of a private citizen, but, you know, basically an organization that was financially harassed out of existence by yeah, they, being targeted by right-wing groups. They kind of had one of those Blackwater things, though, where they more or less just changed the name, right? <laughs> uh, possibly. I'm not totally aware of that. But the thing that just went through my mind just now is that uh, in many states regarding state governments, I think Planned Parenthood might have a pretty good case. Oh, absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, they could, they'd have suits in almost every state, if not every state. If Planned Parenthood has been demonized by both parties uh, on different occasions for decades. Uh, all right, well, let's... Let's kind of move on from that then. Uh, and let's talk about some primary results. Tennessee was the big state that was up just the other day. And there, there were some surprises in there. Uh, some of it was, as expected, uh, Bredesen and Blackburn both made it out of their primaries. Blackburn, we talked about last week. If you guys catch that episode, it's overly long. But we discuss this in, in depth is a, a darling of the Republican grassroots, but a very, very crazy, crazy person. Um, and Bob Corker coming out of that seat in Tennessee to his retirement is more or less openly campaigning for the Democrat, his, his close friend, Phil, uh, Phil Bredesen. Uh, so that, that one set up exactly as we thought it would be, but the governor's race had, had quite a flip there. Uh, Bill Lee, who came out of nowhere uh, against the endorsement of Vice President Mike Pence, uh, and I believe the White House on this, squeaked through with 36.7% uh, while his two opponents beat up on each other and finished up with 23 and 24% respectively. So uh, possibly a, a pickup opportunity for the Democrats in that race. Our candidate skated through. His name's Carl Dean. Nobody here will like him very much, although he may fit the state of Tennessee. He's uh, He's a straight middle-of-the-road moderate on a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't know how well that will play. He's not a progressive lawyer. He probably won't be able to you know, harness the national movement and the national money behind that movement. But an underrated pickup we might possibly have. And the governor of Tennessee, I believe, does have a say in redistricting. He can reject the maps that the statehouse draws. Mm. Yeah, that'd be nice. It really would, just to have one Democratic voice in there. Uh, Tennessee is a state that is also uh, not unfamiliar with Democrats in the statehouse. As mentioned, the uh, the Democratic candidate for Senate, Phil Bredesen, is a former governor, very well liked there. Uh, while they do tend to vote Republican in, uh, in national elections, federal offices, uh, statewide, they're... They're pretty down to the Democrats. In fact, one of my favorite little moments of, of local politics happened there. Do you guys remember, God, I want to say this was like 2010, 2012, the Republicans were set to win the statehouse for the first time in like 150 years since Reconstruction. 
the first time since Reconstruction that Republicans are going to have a majority in the Tennessee House. And uh, they, they printed up banners with the names of the new majority leader. They printed up cups, mugs, all that stuff. The Democrats, four or five minutes before they walked out to the floor, huddled in a room. The leader had an idea. There was this one very old, he was like, I don't know, 70, very moderate Republican from the, the west of the state. He had been felt stepped on by the party for a while. Uh, and they, they abused a little bit of some uh, parliamentary procedure since they had the speaker who was calling the vote for the new speaker. They were allowed to put their candidate first. And every Democrat to a T went out and voted for this guy. And then the Republicans voted. All of them voted for their guy. They only had a one-seat majority, and this dude voted last, and he voted for himself. Ruined all their all their printed cups, all their all their stuff. That dude was well. The dude who was supposed to be the uh, the, the speaker was pissed as shit. It was very very impressive. That's awesome. Yeah, there, there's actually video of it floating around as as he goes apocalyptic and as he realizes he had, he had lost it. And kudos to the Democrats, at least they're organized somewhere. They actually got this through. They got every member of their caucus to go through and do it just to fuck with the Republicans. <laughs> I wish we could hold every one of us together in anything else, but in Tennessee, they're apparently able to do it. So fairly organized as a party. They got a good candidate for governor, not a candidate I like, but a good one for the state. We'll see if they can pull it out. And I guess we'll we'll turn back local before I talk about Portland blowing up. JJ, is there anything interesting going on in, up in Seattle? Uh no, I couldn't really find. Oh, that's right. Um, it's uh, Sea Week, or what I knew in the Bay Area as Fleet Week. Oh boy! It's yeah, exactly. It's the wonderful reminder this weekend that we you know live in the center of empire. Uh, so loud brouhaha of the Blue Angels constantly for like four goddamn days <laughs> while somewhere downtown is some nonsense where you can probably look at Navy boats and there's semen walking everywhere. So it's pretty terrible. Have you never been one to really enjoy the boats? I've always loved those. Some, I mean, in Juno, I've gone on. A, I've never done it while I've been in the city. No, I've you know I've gone on like some of the Coast Guard ships in Juno, and that was it. Yeah. Two, uh, two of the Coast Guard cutters in Astoria just returned from uh, from fleet operations down in in Central America off the Pacific coast of, of Mexico and Central America doing drug interdiction. They came back with eighteen thousand tons of cocaine those are small boats man that must have taken up most of their deck space those are like 205 foot boats i cannot imagine that much cocaine that's because not all of it made it back they actually <laughs> they dropped it all off in san diego which i understand there's a huge like navy base there that processes those things but you can't tell me that doesn't look like they were just taking the cocaine from the drug dealers and then moving it to where the drug dealers were going to move it to. Right? It's, that's doing it for them. <laughs> that's how it makes it across the border easily. All right. Yes, but now the right people get the distributors cut. Yeah, because, Brock, the only thing that stops a bad person with cocaine is a good person with cocaine. I have, uh, I've actually been prescribed cocaine before. Wow. Well, Are you a vampire? No, it was actually eye drops. I was going through some, some terrible, terrible eye infections, uh, and they had cocaine eye drops. It was like a 0.05% cocaine and saline solution. And yeah, it stopped them from scratching and itching, and it, it's an anti-inflammatory, so it got the blood vessels down. Uh, I never tried to, like, snort it or anything. I don't think it would have got me high. But, uh, yeah, there actually is a legitimate market for cocaine in, in medicine. They also use it for some uh, 
ENT surgeries, near neck throat surgeries. Yeah, it's good that you didn't snort it. It'd be like waterboarding yourself with saline <laughs> solution. <laughs> oh, man. All right, let's come down this side of Columbia to wrap up what should be a fairly short episode. Portland had some shit happen today. Um, there was a unpermitted Proud Boys march that had been advertised on social media so we knew it was coming the cops were prepared the mayor had a whole statement yesterday where he was expecting some stuff antifa had a a counter demonstration some clowns also had a counter demonstration not insane clown posse clowns but clowns clown clowns uh and it it went terribly um the the police were absolutely ridiculous in their tactics there were journalist who got assaulted there's a video of a, a a photographer for one of the the major networks who, who got shoved to the ground by the police got real busted up on his hand uh, and his wrist one of the journalists from an independent media source wanted to interview him about it he said no he wants to record the story not be the story i kind of respect that on a certain level but really if the police are are beating up journalists that is a story and you didn't really have any say in that so come on <laughs> yeah that's now an international story <laughs> yeah that, that actually happened so that, that's the thing that the un would like to know buddy perhaps you'd like to say a few words to the camera for us all it wasn't like you know fucking george clooney parachuting down to the middle of darfur and wanting to you know talk about himself like you were doing your job and it happened to you news happens in places that's news buddy come on um but man i had no idea that it was unpermitted i gotta say from the oregonian piece that you linked on the cascadian views page i really thought that they had a permit oh no the, the proud boys don't believe in permits then how do they get all of this preferential treatment from the cops i mean aside from the easy criticism that cops love fascists um I think a lot of it has to do with they're they're more upfront about things. The Bundys never pretended they weren't taking over a wildlife refuge. They dared you to come do something about it. And then when you did something about it, they got all, you know, civil rights and all that when they didn't care two shits about the law when it was, you know, stopping them from doing something. Uh, in, in the same way, I think Antifa just by virtue of being people who are generally more marginalized in society are less likely to complain about these things, less likely to make a stink. Uh, they don't have Fox News as like their personal mouthpiece, that sort of thing. Uh, it's just not comparable. So I think police see that. They're, they're looking for the quickest way to stop violence or whatever. And they see one group that will complain and one group that won't really complain, at least not outside of Facebook. So they go for the one that, that won't complain. <clears throat> I'm not saying that's correct, by the way. That's just my general feeling. I mean, as sad as it is, I, I don't think that you're all that wrong. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'd say, you know, both groups probably complain, but then, you know, institutionalized power, of course, magnifies the voice of one group over the other. Oh, and I also don't want to discount your obvious police love fascist type thing that that is a, a certain oh, no, strain those, those large two things are definitely not mutually exclusive yeah. uh we I, and one of the ways i think really reflects this is actually a discussion i had with jessica in the facebook group there was a, a moment where the cops in a coordinated charge and and volley of flashbang grenades and whatnot uh, charge down streets, shoving the, the anti-racist protesters uh, away, tackling them, arresting them. This is the same action that got the journalist hurt that I mentioned earlier. It later turns out that the, the Patriot Pair group was at least saying they wanted to leave. It turned out that they didn't leave, but they, they wanted to leave. They wanted to exit the area, and the police were, were making a, a exit corridor for them where they can get out of there without you know being assaulted and whatnot. That's a perfectly reasonable idea. I have no problem with that idea of the exit corridor. That was 100% the worst way to accomplish it. And the only reason they did it that way is that there's a built-in antipathy for one group where they need to move them, let's just fuck some shit up and force them out of the way instead of 
you know, hey guys, these assholes over here, the racists that you all hate, they want to get the fuck out of here. So why don't you, you know, move to the other side of the street and we'll let them get the fuck out of here. That would have been a much easier way to accomplish that. Particularly since it seems like the fuckheads only wanted to leave so that Antifa's heads would get cracked by cops. Yeah, pretty much. As soon as the action was, was over with, they, they turned around and marched farther down the waterfront. Yeah. Yeah, they, they told the cops that just to get them to do some shit. Yeah, see, man, I would really hope that there's some sort of statement or a, and apology from your mayor at that point, like... I, would I mean, jeez, so. it's like you guys are like three for three for the police being the ones to escalate the problem at this point. Like, every single time that Patriot Prayer has been there, it seems like the cops are the ones who punch first and and start it every time. Yeah, and I, I also, I don't know how much of this was Joey Gibson just blustering. But during his rally, he announced that he had made a deal with his police where uh, his side wouldn't be searched entering into this park. Uh, you know, search for weapons, as police were doing to everybody downtown. And sure enough, after he announced it, they started pouring in with, you know, two-by-fours, nails sticking at them and whatnot, all sorts of actual fucking street weapons. And the cops just stood around the square on the outside. Was yeah, I was reading that, and then like, and then Antifa shows up with like their own riot shields, and the cops are like, "Oh, I don't know, now shit's getting out of hand." Like, no, dude, shit got out of hand when a bunch of dudes with boards and nails with nails in it came up. Like, yeah. that was when you should have interceded and been like, "Okay, one." Again, th this is where I'm like, the coverage from the Oregonian really made me think that this was an approved protest. Because, like, once everybody shows up with weapons, like... I mean, shit, man, think to WTO 99 in Seattle. Yeah! There weren't even dudes with, like, sticks with nails in them. Uh, yeah, like, I think the worst... And now we have, like, a hundred people, okay, yeah, they've got straight-up street weapons. Cops are like, yeah, it's chill. They Nobody say they're patriots. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, and the, the cops were just verbally abusive the entire time. I don't know if you were watching the live stream, but I, uh, the live stream, excuse me. But I never heard so many expletives. And they were just constantly hurling them at the anti racist protesters. Uh, no shit. Yeah. The, Ooh, that's definitely got to get looked at then. The, uh, they should be a silent wall. There really should. Uh, did you guys see the uh, the U-Haul dance band? No. No. That So that started as a very nice, lighter moment of the protest. Some guys rented a U-Haul truck, uh, and put a, a giant racist can't dance banner on the front of it, and were blasting dance music and just dancing in the back of it, circling the, uh, the Proud Boys rally. And that same truck ended up being used, like, for cover as the police were opening fire with, like, shock rounds and, and tear gas rounds and flashbang grenades and whatnot. And it was, I thought, a very nice touch, a moment of levity, and then it just gets turned into an instrument of survival. It, it was a very disturbing thing to see in the, uh, the yeah. in a, a modern American city. This isn't, you know, fucking Sarajevo or some shit. Like, this is Portland. I don't expect the cops to be firing on protesters. You know, even less lethal rounds like they were using. I, those things aren't perfectly non-lethal. We, we had most of an entire episode about that at one point when uh, these, these riots were first starting last year or the year before or whatever. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, there's another journalist uh, who got hurt, although it's not known who did that. He got hit by a bottle that went flying at one point. There's some great pictures on the, the Oregonian page about maybe halfway down the live blog of that guy just blood pouring off his face. He's okay now. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, I did see that. Uh, so I had a question for you, too, Brock. If you knew what the difference was uh, for PPD calling it this a civil disturbance over a riot, which is the term that they've used, I want to say the past two protests... By Patriot Prayer. 
so they say. they don't actually uh, use the the term riot. That's that's used in the media. They uh, okay. I they use like unpermitted demonstration or something like that, which they're actually cool with. For the most part, you don't need a permit to do a protest. Um, and and the Patriot Prayer totally abuses the fuck out of that. Antifa, I don't want to say they abuse it, but they they respond in kind. Um, but they will, if things start getting violent, they'll use that as an excuse to shut it down. And then when things get violent, they use that civil disturbance thing. The the city and its social media communications will call it a riot, but I don't believe that's a legal, like, defined term. Oh, it must be the city making the declaration. That makes sense. Okay. The, the, the legal powers that they use to shut it down uh, don't, don't depend on that declaration. That's... Well, yeah, because I I was just curious as to whether or not they had, whether or not those categories came with a level of enforcement. So, you know, because presumably this was a little bit less than it's been in the past, even though their level of force doesn't feel like it's a little bit less. Their, Their level of force was larger than I've seen before. So I, I have personally witnessed as part of these demonstrations, uh, the use of tear gas and the use of the flashbangs. Um, this was the first time I've seen them deploy stun rounds and, uh, and beanbag shots. It's also, I believe, the first time I've seen them uh, use the tear gas grenades. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is an escalation for sure. Yeah, they uh, totally. They, they had used tear gas rounds before, uh, which they, they fire off and then explode. This time they actually had grenades in hand that you could prime, throw, and after a delay, uh, it would throw up an expanding cloud of, of your stuff. So okay. I, I think they got some new toys to play with. Either that or they busted out some stuff they had before. But they and you guys necessary. just got a new police chief, right? Yeah. Yeah. How recently was that? God, I'll have to look that up. Like two weeks. Oh, shit. Yeah. I, I, oh, so this is their first dance, and they, whoa, man, they really overreacted on this one. Well, see, I'm not entirely sure of that. I don't know how involved they were in this. I don't know if this is a police force basically on self-guidance on this point, or if this is the mark of the new chief. And either way, it could be bad. A police force left its own devices without somebody to control them is not really a good thing. Yeah, I mean, either way, the results speak for themselves. They, they brought an awful lot of extra tools out of the shed this time and used them on the people who weren't the assholes. So, yeesh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and did not use them in any semblance. In fact, showed extreme deference to the, the, the fucking fascist. I, I was I was shocked and stunned at my my city police force today. It was not something that I, I condone or am proud of. Um, I, yeah, like that's and that's the kind of thing that's only gonna wear through the community. I mean, that's that's gonna have ripples for years. Like Portland police support fascists. Like straight up, man, three for three. That's that's not a good look uh, for the community, and that's gonna be a problem in the streets. Yeah, it's it's not even that hard, man, for right? for, for the cops. I, I don't need, in my ideal heart of hearts, do I wish Joey Gibson has taken, like, a nice right uppercut beneath the jaw? Yes. Do I think the police should allow that to happen? No. I don't need you to, like, help us lead the glorious people's revolution. I just need you to not attack the anti-racist. You want to keep everybody separate, keep the peace... I get that. That's your job. I may not believe in this, you know, certain circumstance. That's what I want. But I totally get that you're doing the job that society needs from you. Totally. I don't need you to take a side. All you have to do is not take a side. Stand stoically. Keep everybody apart. You know, if you have to tackle somebody and arrest somebody who's trying to break the peace between the two sides, go for it. But no, man, you, you took sides. You sided with the fascists. Yeah, I feel like the um, this was last year sometime, but it was after Charlottesville, 
but there was a big rally in Boston, you know, that everyone was after Charlottesville was like, how is this going to go? And that's exactly what the police there did. They set up a cordoned off space. They kept the crowd separate. And basically, when the um, rightists were ready to go, they actually led them out. Not led them out as an excuse to beat up people on the way, but, you know, like, led them out. <laughs> we, we could learn a lot in how we conduct policing from examples like that. Another one that comes to mind is, uh, we talked about in the show, the case from Toronto maybe a year ago, um, where the gentleman was having a psychotic break and waving around a gun, and somehow... Who knows how? It must be some fucking mystery to the American police departments. The the Toronto police had somebody out there, talked him down, put his own gun down in order to show the guy he wasn't a threat. Totally yeah. defused the situation. And our our police forces, for the most part, just to seem, seem to have some sort of dirty, hairy complex. Yeah. Well, I'm all pissed off now. Let's, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, this has been a shorter episode than usual this week mostly because our episode last week ran almost 50% longer you guys should check it out if you want we went through uh, all the Senate races that are coming up it's a good listen it's just me and Dan so you get a couple of centrists talking about centristy things JJ will probably (laughs) tell us how wrong we are but uh, it, it is worth a listen I believe and uh, let's talk about what we're following this week, since uh, we have a little bit of time to fill. How about you, JJ? Um, yeah, let's see. Yeah, I got. Um, I guess I'll talk about this uh, whole Sarah Jong thing, uh, who just got hired at the New York Times, and a whole bunch of people. Sorry. Let me specify. A whole bunch of conservatives and alt-right trolls are screaming at the moon um, because she's racist against white people. To be fair, those are some pretty horrible tweets. Sure. They they are. And I gotta say, I do like her justification. Uh, She was trying to troll the trolls. Yeah. And she was like, well, you know, it obviously didn't work. Duh. As we all know, eventually. <laughs> as we all figure out. That, that's a lesson you learn help. pretty early, I think, in this day and age. And and also, to be fair, these tweets were from years ago. Like 2014, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. So it seems... And she's a fairly young lady. She's in her 30s, I think. I think so, yeah. So she may have learned that lesson at the exact wrong time for the world to never forget. Yeah, she's exactly 30 years old. She was born in 1988. Yeah, okay. And, and of course, what, what people here are, are missing is, you know, the, the very, very important difference between racism and discrimination that is often lost in these debates in that racism carries the power of the state and and almost always a very clear threat of actual violence, which is, of course, also part of the point that this journalist has made as well. Like, she gets daily harassment from people saying that she should be hurt. Uh, it is in no way comparable for her to say shitty stuff about white people in a generic and loose and vague way. Those two things are not the same. And that is a false comparison that is being made, and it's a huge misunderstanding that we constantly go back and forth here in this country about these ideas, about, yeah, which comes from that whole, often in my mind, this divide between racism which has the backing an institutionalized presence and prejudice which is hate which is interpersonal you're a piece of shit and i don't like you the uh the bbc actually labeled this the racist tweet reporter joins new york times so i don't think it's entirely constrained to the uh the alt-right it seems to have gotten some regret uh regrettable traction Oh, I mean, yeah, not surprised. It's I, it's still a huge problem on the left as well. Um, 
it, it's it's a problem for I would say most people, uh, most white people in particular, that try to get into a discussion about racism. Um, some on the left are a little bit better, but most of the left is still caught in the same kind of uh, binary dynamic, where it's it's either full-throated support or full-throated hatred. They they just there's an intricacy there that is not being grasped. This may be uh, somewhat out of place for me, too. I don't really understand the full dynamics here. But I do think that they're a little bit like how when America is the sole superpower in the world, we have to let some, thing, some things go. You know, some people can say some nasty things about us, and we just we can't respond because there's no way it can be proportional. Uh, I, I think in a lot of ways there's something similar going on as a, a the dominant force in this society as, as a white person. There are some times where because any response you have is just so much more powerful and carries so much more threat of action with it, you have to just let some things slide. It's okay for minorities to be pissed off at white people sometimes. You don't need to take that as an affront to your honor and something you have to respond to yeah uh i i like that analogy here we'll we'll run with this a little bit further and and give a more direct example for people um so if madagascar came out you know the the president of madagascar said that the united states funds terrorism and therefore is a terrorist nation okay they've said that what happens <laughs> Absolutely nothing. The only thing that happens is the president of Madagascar said that our country funds terrorism and is a terrorist country. So now let's flip that role. Donald Trump declares Madagascar a terrorist country that funds terrorism. What happens now? Three quarters uh, of the well, globe is not allowed to do business with them? Right, <laughs> exactly. Like economic sanctions... Uh, through the Security Council, cripple Madagascar's economy for 30 years. Nobody's allowed to trade to them unless you're in the access of evil, whomever's on that list at the time. Um, you'll be periodically patrolled by Navy boats and probably have drones drop bombs on you periodically. Yeah, be subject to drone strikes that you have no effective recourse to complain about anywhere in the world. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, yeah, so the difference you know, in power base just makes that. Uh, yeah, you just you have to let that slide off your back at some point. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I I agree with you, <clears throat> JJ. It, they they were unfortunate tweets. I I read them. I don't think that they were good tweets, but I also I recognize what she was trying to do. I think yeah, she was right. probably a pretty naive twenty three year old when she was trying to do that. But I accept that. I was a pretty shitty twenty three year old. I'm yeah, not gonna hold right? that against like, anybody. <laughs> That's not a crime, and it's certainly not a crime on Twitter. So I mean, <laughs> shit, like. And you know, I can absolutely recognize and validate the feelings that she was having at that time. Sometimes, we are hard to deal with. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's. This is easily reframed in a way that makes it sound like absolutely no big deal at all. Twenty-three-year-old writes hyperbolic statements on Twitter. Yeah. Who cares? Happens yeah, a million oh, times every day. Do like, uh, yeah. Congratulations, kid. You've discovered Twitter. <laughs> All right, Chris. How about you? What are you following this week? Well, I've got my eye on two things. Um, electorally, um, there's a special election, kind of our last special election before we get to our actual election, in uh, for a congressional seat in Ohio this upcoming week, in a district that leans pretty heavily red, but where the Democratic candidate in recent polling has been just like a margin of error, you know, within a margin of error behind. And Trump is actually holding a rally there, I believe, as we speak. Or, is that the one or in he's Ohio? on his way there shortly. Yeah. Yeah, he's holding a rally there as we speak. The QAnon yeah. has had a presence, too. So I think that's going to be an interesting race to kind of look at for further tea leaves about the midterms. Um, the other thing I have on my mind kind of apocalyptically is uh, – the one-year anniversary of the Unite the Right rally, quote-unquote, um, which is happening in Washington, D.C., which seems somehow much worse. 
uh, and will be taking place this upcoming weekend. Oh, dear. Yeah, I'm not anticipating that going well. Uh, is that all you want to talk about? <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about one of those things at all, but it is it is on my mind as something that's coming up this weekend that I'll be... I don't know if interested is quite the right word to see how it plays out. That we don't look forward to discussing next week. <laughs> right. I believe the uh, the Proud Boys are planning another Portland appearance uh, for a, a one-year celebration event at the Rag Pack, too, as well, in a couple weeks. So we'll, we'll see them again, I suppose. Well, that'll be fun for the police. Yeah, it, it will certainly be. I don't really have anything to talk about this week, actually. Um, yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of drawing a blank. I will say, hey, I just bought Hand of Fate 2, a great indie game. I put like four hours into it last night. It's great. You guys should go check it out. That'll be what I'm talking about this week. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. It's a deck-building RPG roguelike board game Arkham-style beat-em-up brawler. If you can at all understand what that would be like. That is a lot can. of things. It's so good, though. Oh, my God. You should really check it out. Like a hundred percent. I I have a hard time explaining things except tarot cards are laid out into a board game in like paths and you those are encounters and FTL style like roguelite type thing where you you unlock new cards and new abilities as you go and each encounter you fight in like the Arkham style beat 'em up type thing. Oh, that does look really cool. It is so good. It it sucked me in for like four hours last night, and it's going to suck me in for for more, I assume. (laughs) Like immediately. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I do have to cook dinner for my girlfriend or she'll get mad. But other than that, yeah. Uh, I do highly recommend you you check it out. I know it's not newsy, but that's really what's on my mind this week. Cool. All right. Have a great week, guys. I will see you all next week, and I believe we'll we'll have Dan with us. Cool. Take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye. 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 Bye.